that's another thing. Seven thousand pounds it costs for the for an average funeral. All you have to do is watch daytime TV. It's so depressing because every <laughs> every single advert is over fifties life guarantee plan for when you're no longer here. <laughs> There's a brilliant one with um, some actress used to be one foot in the grave where she's on the stage and she's going, this is where it began for me and this is where it'll end. <laughs> <laughs> like, Christ! I don't care about my funeral. Dead, I'll, so be, I'll be dead. You can roll me into the canal. It doesn't matter. I'll be dead. <laughs> no, some of that was a problem, not mine, because I'll be gone. Can we get on with this? <laughs> where, <laughs> where is this conversation going? <laughs> And welcome to the AV Forums podcast for Wednesday, the 16th of March, 2016. And joining me on this edition are Assistant Editor Steve Withers. Stop! I'm going to pee! News Editor Mark Hodgkinson. There is now a level zero. And audio reviewer Ed Selly. You'll never be the Dragon Warrior unless you lose £500 and brush your teeth. So, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, we've got lots to get through this week. Uh, lots of news uh, broke last week, uh, lots of uh, launch event stuff to talk about, and lots of death to talk about as well, just to you know raise the tone of the podcast. We will be you know, talking about the death of things on this edition. So let's start on a, on a bright note, and then it can go downhill from there. Uh, Samsung <laughs> launched their new... T- oh, actually, I've got to do competitions. Dear me, I forgot all about that. And it's in the running order as well. So competitions, current competitions, uh, what can we win, Steve? You can currently win The Warriors on Blu-ray. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the film, but I actually quite like The Warriors. It's about uh, uh, basically a, a gang trying to get across the streets of New York in the late 70s, I think it was made. Um, again, with other gangs trying to kill them, but it's quite good fun. Uh, there's a famous line with, Warriors, come out to play. That's not uh, what anyway. I remember. What are don't, you thinking of? Don't fudge with the Wongs. Oh, yeah, 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 don't fudge with the Ducky Boys or something, isn't it? I thought it was the Wongs. <laughs> yeah, you're right, the Wongs, yeah. There's lots, lots of different gangs and they've got different names. I think the Wongs are obviously the Asian gang. Directed by Walter Hill, I think, so uh, there you go. That's available to win on Blu-ray uh, to active members and that competition ends on the 4th of April. And we've got some previous competition winners. Uh, Mo3733, one bullet on Blu-ray. And I'd like to thank John John Best for his description of the plot of the film, which I think was pretty much bang on the money in the third film last week's um, podcast. And also Sanjay and Pete FMB have won tickets to see Game of Thrones episode Hard Home uh, in Dolby Atmos. Um, so that's excellent. Blu-ray also comes out this week. Yeah, uh, the, the one copies of that as well. Did you want copies as well? Even yes. better. There you go. You see, it, was, it was worth entering that competition. Yeah, that was a great competition win. Right, like I said, before we go downhill and, and get all depressed and talking about death, um, Samsung have launched their new TV lineup. Uh, the main press event or press, press launch is this week, Steve. But you got an early look last week. I did. Popped down to the QA Labs uh, near um, Bracknell and uh, had a look at, at the new lineup. Well, I didn't get to see much of the new lineup. They only had a couple of actual models there, but they took me through the new lineup in a presentation. Um, they actually had, though, they had the KS9500 there to have a look at, which is this year's flagship model. Technically, there'll be another flagship model because they are actually doing an 8K TV. Um, but, you know, let's be honest, there's 110 inches, 8K TV is going to cost an arm and a leg, and they're not even by their own admission. They're not expecting to sell too many of those. So the, the realistic flagship model is the KS9500. Um, one screen size, uh, no, sorry, no, it's, it's three screens, no, 65 inches, 78 inches, and 88 inches. Um, full away backlight, 
uh, and all the bells and whistles that they're bringing on this year. Um, obviously, it's got quantum dot, so wider color space, HDR support, at least a thousand nits of peak brightness, HDR10 support, um, and their new revised um, smart platform, new controller, um, auto detect. So when you plug in a device, you know it just detects it immediately, and, and you can control that using the universal remote controller that comes with the TV. I got to say, those features they showed me, and they did look really good, um, really useful little features. I think um, some of those aspects and some of the aspects of the of the smart platform itself uh, are very intuitive and and, um, and customizable. I and mean, even though, it, let's be honest, it does look a little bit like WebOS, uh, it does work, uh, and it looks quite good. And I mean, it basically it places the emphasis on. Um, Video, demand, video on demand services and streaming services and catch up services. And I think that's what people are using um, the smart platforms on their TVs for. So that makes sense. Uh, Peach Quarter look great. They've also got the Moth Eye filter on it. So it reduces reflections. Um, they reckon that they, the viewing angles are slightly better this year because of the quantum dot they're using this year instead of last year. And um, also their native black levels are slightly better and also slightly brighter because because of the technology and the quantum dot technology they're using. So overall, um, it's I mean, only to a certain extent, and I think we said this after CES, Samsung, you know, we're coming out with some pretty good TV, you know, really good TVs last year that were already pushing the envelope in terms of uh, of um, technology and, and and their capabilities. Certainly the, the, the JS9500 from last year, you know, that would have probably have got premium UHD certification this year if you tested it because it was already delivering most of those things uh, in terms of like, you know, color gamut and HDR. And so there was, you know, there's not much further they can go really this year, but they, I think what they've done is they've they fine-tuned and improved it uh, and to deliver a, you know, a really solid lineup of TVs. So you've got the KS9500 at the top, but the KS9000, which is the one with edge LED lighting. Otherwise, it's pretty much the same in terms of the feature set, but it has edge LED lighting rather than the full-away backlight. Then, and then you've got, after that, you've got, um, the one complaint I would have is that unfortunately with the flagship model, there's no option for a flat screen. It is curved. But after that, they are offering flat screen options at each of the levels then. So you've got uh, the curved uh, KS9000, KS8000, that's flat, KS7500, curved, and the KS7000 flat. Now, all the KS range, that's those are the SUHD TVs, they all support HDR10 with, with a minimum of 1,000 um, nits of peak brightness, uh, and they all have quantum dot and wider color gamut, etc. So they're kind of offering a, a very strong lineup across the entire KS range, and they're giving you the option of, of flat or curved with the exception of the flagship KS9500. After that, they've got the KU6500, which is their sort of, um, not quite entry level because it was a lower level than that, but certainly it's, it's, it's sort of the mid-range non-SUHD um, 4K TV. So there's a KU6500, that's curved. And there's also the KU6400, which is flat. And then the entry level uh, 4K TV is the KU6300 curved or KU6000 flat. And they're coming in a lot of screen sizes too. So they're really covering, I mean, you know, obviously there are a few full HD models, but it's really full, it's probably about ultra HD, 4K, HDR across the entire range, um, although only the SUHD models have the sort of, you know, thousand nits peak brightness. The rest of them have got what they call HDR Pro, which isn't as bright. But uh, it's a strong lineup. It's a strong lineup, good, lots of screen sizes, and it's good that they're giving people a choice of curved or flat. Well, just thinking about this, if the arch advocates of the curved screen are offering a significant quantity of flat screens in this lineup, does that mean that we might finally be free of what, let's face it, is another concept which has failed to excite the public's attention? Do you think this is the beginning of the end? I can't speak for Samsung, but anecdotally from other manufacturers, they have all said that they've not been that successful. Uh, and a lot of them have dropped it this year. I don't think Panasonic are doing any curved screens, are they, Phil? Nope. 
No, so Canson could dropped it. Uh, I think Philips are doing one curved screen still this year. Maybe not even that. I think maybe they're ditching it this year as well. Hasn't been a success. Uh, so certainly the other manufacturers don't seem to think it's been a success. I can't think uh, of Sony enough. either, can you? No, I don't think Sony. No, you're right. Sony have got one, but they've only got oh. one. Um, so really, you know, they're either paying lip service to it or they've ditched it entirely. Now, there would be an enormous loss of face from the point of view of Samsung. If they just said, no, it's been a failure. But I could imagine it being quietly phased out over time. <laughs> Well, well, the, well. The fact that fifty percent of the range is flat this year is—that's more than been quiet, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I just, it's just a shame that they're not doing a flat KS nine five hundred because I think that would be, uh, you know, really popular with the enthusiast. Um, they are still trying to infer that the curved ones are slightly better, aren't they, with the yeah. higher the higher product code numbers, even though they're the same TV. You know, the seven. Yeah, all the features are identical other than the The only thing missing on the flat ones is the auto depth enhancer, which is a feature designed specifically to work with the curved screen. Any uh, indication on pricing? Uh, No, not yet. Did you get to watch anything on them? Yeah, I did. Um, I mean, I got to watch, I tell you what, I've got to say, the the 9500 looked great. Um, I watched a a whole load of um, HDR content and and um, 4K content and some various test pans, and it all looked really impressive. What was very impressive was they were showing the 9000, the KS9000, against last year's JS9000. And the addition of the Mothai and the new Quantum Dot uh, technology they put into the TV really does make a difference. I mean, in terms of the black levels, and that, there was a noticeable difference between the two panels, um, which I thought was quite impressive. So I think uh, the KS9000 could be quite a strong range for them this year because obviously it would be cheaper than the full array backlight, um, as long as they can make sure. And it looked, you know, certainly on the panel they had in, in the demo, it was a nice even backlight. There was no obvious clouding or bright corners. Uh, edges or anything like that. Um, I, I think, I mean, I remember the Mothai was on a, a Philips TV about three years ago. And I thought it was great. It, it worked really well. And I was really surprised that nobody else, uh, you know, used it. Um, even Philips themselves kind of quietly dropped it, I think, because at the time it was quite expensive. Um, but if, you know, if, if Samsung had got a way of doing it at a reasonable cost price, then um, then I think that's a real, really cool addition to uh, to their lineup in terms of, because uh, I mean, most people, I think it's realistic to say, most people don't watch TV in a pitch bad room. The majority of people watch TV with some ambient light uh, or during the day. So um, I think that's a really nice feature. Right. So um, smart TV wise, like, like we said, you know, it's uh, very similar to um, to the Korean neighbours, which isn't a bad thing because it's uh, actually quite an intuitive system to use. But there has been a lot of talk this past week about smart TV services and making purchases on what basically is uh, third party providers. Uh, content on on TVs from the likes of Netflix and Amazon and so on, and also how manufacturers are dealing with that. So we've had an episode in the last week where Panasonic servers went down, mm-hmm. um, which caused a lot of issues with third-party services um, and at the App Store and getting stuff from apps. And we've also had the announcement from Microsoft that um, Skype, that they're now going to take it off smart TVs because... It hasn't been successful and they would rather concentrate on mobile uh, smart devices and tablets and so on. So that kind of calls into question, if you're buying a smart TV, how much do you put on the smart stuff that you're actually buying into? Because it could be two years down the line, it quietly gets dropped. I'm more of a standalone kind of guy. I prefer I prefer a box you can plug in and and move around, and you probably you know you're more likely for it to be supported a few years down the line than the TV manufacturers if they suddenly change their smart TV system uh, altogether. Then, as we saw when um, in fact when Samsung did it, there was loads of apps not working for a good period of time, nearly a year, with some of the key apps before they managed to switch over to uh, Tizen. So I'd be wary of of making any any decisions on smart TV platforms. 
But yeah, I just, in the demo they gave me on uh, last Monday, there wasn't any uh, any catch-up services yet. I think they are coming, but um, they weren't actually on the platform yet. Although, in yeah. fairness, I guess the TVs haven't started shipping yet, but um, it took them quite a long time last year to get everything in, in order, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. well, there, there wasn't just just Samsung. I mean, yeah, you yeah, have to look at Sony and Philips with the Android platform and mm. how, how many issues they had. Although, saying that, you know, that put a downer on the TVs last year, but actually when you look at Android stuff now, Mark, um, that is the one platform where you can actually sideload and customise it to your heart's content and you're, yeah, not, you're not necessarily... it's easily the most open, Phil, yeah. Without a doubt, you can uh, you can, you can do a lot of stuff. I mean, providing you can, can control the app, that is. I mean, if it's a touchscreen interface, you're going you're gonna to struggle with a TV remote. But, um, there are, yeah, there was, there's plenty of stuff you can sideload. I mean, you can get really good... You can get Kodi on there from the App Store, in fact, which is... A, you know, a damn sight better media server than you'll find built into any of the TVs without a question. So, uh, yeah, Android. I mean, Android's good in a lot of ways, and and Google have opened up the uh, API now, so a lot. Uh, sorry, released a new API to developers, which makes it a lot easier for for audio visual stuff to to happen, as it were. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to see what Sony and Philips how they fare this year on the smart platform. But I'm expecting it to be a lot better. Maybe I'm old fashioned, but it's not something. If I was going out to buy a TV, I would be looking at. I think if I was looking at buying a TV, there are other factors that are way above um, the smart TV platform. And at the end of the day, the only things I'd be looking for, if it's a 4K UHD TV, um, you know, all singing, all dancing, is Netflix 4K and Amazon 4K, as long as it had those services and YouTube, I suppose. And maybe um, iPlayer. But you can get that anywhere, can't you, really? Those those would keep me happy, and anything else, I really, you know, I couldn't care less if it has a browser on it or any other applications or games or anything like that. Because I've got other devices that, should that take my interest, then I've got other things to go and play games on and that kind of thing. I'm not going to do it on my TV. And I think Steve, we said for a number of years that TVs are a laid back. You know, it's not a, it's not a, a sit forward experience like the internet is. It's it's a sit back and and let stuff wash over you. And a lot of the smart stuff, yeah, it's it, it sounds interesting, but we actually put it into a TV and so on. How much of it actually gets used? It's going to be video on demand, and I think that's about it. Yeah, and I think the manufacturers have realised that. I think when they first started doing smart TV, they were trying to provide you with a an experience that was similar to what you'd get from a, a tablet or from from a from you know from a computer. And as you just said, Phil, that's not what a TV is about. A TV is largely a passive experience. You sit back, you watch TV. It's a watching thing. You're not, but you're not interacting with the TV that much, and you don't really want to. And what they've realised over the last few years is that the only things, because obviously I assume they must monitor. Um, if if they can, they monitor the, the, what's being watched and used on these platforms, and they can see that what's being used, quite obviously, on the catch-up services and video on demand, like like Netflix and, and Amazon. So those are the things that are being given priority. And if if the Samsung if Samsung's newly designed platform is anything to go by, they clearly realise that because it's much simpler. It's very much focused upon content, getting you content, finding content, recommending content, and the rest of it's very much in the in the back, you know. There's stuff that like web browsers and that kind of thing is still there, but I mean, no one's using it. What they got, what they're emphasising is video on demand and accessing video content because that's what you use a TV for for watching things. And and yeah, I think that's definitely it's been a learning curve because obviously when you can do something, you want to try and show off and say, oh, we can do all these things, but you quickly realise that people aren't using the TV for Skype conversations. They aren't using it to make Twitter, you know, have Twitter conversations. They are because you've got a device probably right next to you to do all that anyway, a tablet I'm much or better phone, suited for it as well. Yes, exactly. A lot easier because obviously one of the big problems with a TV, even, you know, with the, the Philips dual-sided remote controls, you know, getting stuff into television is never that easy with a remote control either if you've got to start typing stuff in. So what you want to do is you want to just find content and watch it uh, and 
the easier they make that and, and the more accessible I think the better uh, yeah. and that's pretty much what they've realized yeah obviously second screen and stuff as well is is proven popular but yeah it, it's all about watching stuff it's all about, it's not about interacting with the tv as such and um i guess ed you know for as, a, as an outsider for something like this because um, i know i know you've got a gt Stranger. i know you've got a gt60 which hasn't got a hell of a lot of smart functionality about it but if you were going out to buy a, a tv Tomorrow, let's say they, they gave up the ghost and he really had to go out and buy something. Um, where are where on your list of priorities does smart TV come? A long way down. Put it like this, as you say, I've got GC60. It's, it's an, a very old lady in television terms. Um, even so, even if that's a limited smart TV, it's still chock-a-block with stuff I've never even selected. Um, as as you guys have said, it really needs to have Netflix, and that's as much for actually for my wife as as me. I I actually find myself watching less and less of that. Um, and yes, essentially, it needs to be able to deliver some content, and that's it. Uh, I mean, in terms of it, it, in terms of things that I would be selecting for, it comes down to picture, its ability to be accommodated in the space. I don't care what it sounds like. I suppose I, I'm actually sort of interested into into whether it's got a reasonable control app because remote controls don't do too well in my house at the moment. But no, it, it really hasn't been a big feature. But I don't know whether this is a generational thing. After all, we're all, to a greater or lesser extent, old people. <laughs> so um, whether, there's a, a, whether there's a sudden flick point below a certain age where it suddenly matters, I don't know. Um, but I, I don't think that any of the manuf- TV manufacturers cutting back on what these things are doing at the moment, I, I don't think they're doing anything radical. I think they're responding to a perfectly legitimate trend that the vast majority of things packed into smart TV applications are never once selected or used. So like 90% of the Skype TVs out there don't have a built-in camera, do they? Well, that's no. the thing you had to buy. It was that. only the flagship yeah. ones that ever had built-in cameras, so another 100 quid on a webcam? No, no thanks. Yeah, I, I miss them. I miss the videos with Steve's finger going in and pushing the camera. So it, <laughs> <up>. <laughs> it, was, it was only it was dynamic. the same shot. It was the only dynamic bit of videoing that Steve ever did. So. <laughs> oh... There you go. That's 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 the the downside of relentless technical innovation. <laughs> but I mean, we've seen um, you know cost, you know manufacturers surveys for last well for years, and generally, um, I'm not sure how honest this is sometimes, but generally that the number one criteria for people is picture quality. Actually, I saw a, a, a survey that Samsung showed me last Monday. Um, and interestingly, that the number one criteria was price. I think that seems more realistic. Price, yeah. That's got to be the number one criteria for everybody. Price. Yeah, for the for the mass and, for the mass market, I think it is. Yeah, um, you know the other thing is, and uh, again, you know, I'm not having a go at our, our listeners. I would never ever do that. But we all tend to live in this little dome called AV forums and AV in general, and we're all enthusiasts and we all like this technology and all the rest of it. And what we like and what we think is important very rarely transmits. To the mass market in any kind of meaningful way so it always surprised me when picture quality appeared at the top because i don't think we were talking about the same thing when it came to picture quality between the mass market and the enthusiast market um it never seemed to ring true that way. no i mean 
would be nice to think people do place emphasis on picture quality, but based upon my, you know, anecdotal experience, that's not always the well, case. Steve, I was a police officer for ten years. Yeah. I was in and out of people's houses, and I can guarantee you that there's <laughs> absolutely some monstrosity of picture quality out there. And some of the times you turn up people's homes and you want to just grab the remote control and and fix it there and then, because oh, before you break up the domestic assaults, you, you actually stop. Let me just fix your TV first. Wait a second. Wait a second. Stop hitting each other. Okay, that's arguing. now we're in movie mode. <laughs> you're complaining about it, but what is interesting is the things that were always and i mean always coming at the bottom of those surveys and one of them was smart tv platforms i don't think they ever ever massively popular i can always remember seeing them being quite low down the list of priorities for people yeah because uh, you know i think the likes of netflix and amazon and youtube that's not smart tv those are video players or video on demand services yeah, it's kind that, of like a channel these days, isn't it? That's a yeah, channel on your television, effectively. Yeah, it is not a smart TV. Like you say, it's it's a channel, it's an app, but it's for content delivery. It's not for playing games and all the rest of it. So, yeah, it's, um, I think moving on, and you know, this is me making another um, prediction here, which is no doubt going to get me into trouble like the last few have been, uh, and we're going to come on to one of those in a, in a minute, so I can say I told you so. But um, smart TV, I think it'll be dead within the next two years, as we know it. It's going to morph into something that, that, like you say, is, is just another channel for content. I think it delivery. already is doing that. I mean, I think that was what that was what was game-changing in a way about WebOS was the idea of taking everything, regardless of what it is, and treating it as an app. So you had an HDMI one, one input, that's an app. You select that. You, Netflix, you select that. And that's great because you basically have your launcher bar. On your launcher bar, you have the HDMI inputs you're using, whatever sources you've got con- connected, um, Netflix, Amazon iPlayer, you know, 4OD, all four, whatever it's called now. Those, you know, you put them in the list, you know, in priority of, of which ones you use the most regularly. And that, that's all you really want. And everything else just sits at the, you know, at the end and never gets used. Yeah. And, and like Mark alluded to right at the beginning of the conversation, if you want that type of thing, I think you're far better served, Mark, by buying a media, a media box yeah. of some description and, and learning how to use that and putting Cody on there and learning how to how to feed your content in that maybe from a NAS drive or whatever because there's so many options now for content delivery and I think if you if you choose to go with a with a box solution at least you've got a way out if things are not exactly. updated and you can take it into another room and use it on another TV of course which is another you can't do with a, a smart TV you could have an, a bang up to date smart TV in the living room but if you want in the bedrooms not up to up to snuff then you, there's nothing you can do about it apart from plug a box in speaking from experience well, yeah, I mean, I'm doing that basically on the on the Kura at the moment because clearly that has absolutely no smart platform. So, so I, think, I, I think so. No, I'm not Phil sure says, Phil says it'll be dead. I'm not sure it'll be dead altogether. It'll <laughs> I think still it'll change. No, it'll no, I, no hang on. I didn't say it. I said, as we know it, I know, it I would know. die and it would morph into something that, that's far more about content delivery than anything else. Um, talking about content delivery, talking about Netflix and so on, you did uh, another little experiment, Mark. Um, a quick yes or no. Netflix Ultra HD streaming or full HD Blu-ray, what was better? Neither. Wasn't <laughs> 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 no, Nothing really. It's, it's it's so close in terms of video quality. There is so little in it that you you would see on on an average size TV, let alone a, a big one like I was doing it with from a, a few feet away. I was using a sixty-five inch telly and I was getting within three or four foot to even even slightly pick up a difference. It's um there's there's just nothing in it as things stand really. You you'd be really hard pressed. On a really good on a good internet connection uh, with Netflix at, at the correct refresh rate, it's a match for Blu-ray for sure. In terms of audio, 
you can't do HD audio at the minute through Netflix, although most people that that's not going to bother. You can do 5.1 Dolby Digital Plus, which will be enough for a lot of people. Um, it's yeah, it's it's at this stage it's really hard to call it apart in in terms of video quality. I will go down the Netflix route because I don't want to spend money on a lot of money on discs for TV shows, which is what I use it for. I don't use it for movies. Um, I, I like the access, I like the interface. Uh, I don't like sticking discs in, all the rest of it. It's just convenience married with quality makes it makes it the winner for me. But I perfectly appreciate people like the ceremony of getting a disc out and sticking it in, Steve. Uh, well, with movies, yeah, but I, I haven't bought a TV suit with the exception, with a notable exception of Game of Thrones. Which I think is is unique in terms of its you know it's such a well made show with such fantastic production values that you can buy that on Blu-ray and watch it over and over again. But with the exception of that, I haven't bought a TV show on Blu-ray or even any disc format uh, in years. I, I just watch them on streaming services, same as you, because uh, it's convenient it's, and I'm unlikely to rewatch a TV series with the exception again of Game of Thrones. Whereas I I will watch my favorite films over and over again. So yeah, for TV stuff, definitely streaming. And in fact, I was watching season four of house of cards over the weekend and even in full hd i was stunned at how good it looked on netflix it was it looked incredible even even with my crappy internet connection and what's, that, what's that through steve what sort of device was i using yeah i was using apple tv right okay and it looked it looked absolutely stunning uh, i was thinking you know if you told me that well, this is a 4K stream, I could have believed it. I thought this is looking really good. Well, I was quite impressed, particularly the opening credit sequence. It always looks really impressive. But um, on the, yeah, on the converse side, I, I did um, compare 4K, which is a separate thing, I guess, of uh, the Ultra HD Netflix to 1080p Netflix, just flicking to the uh, the Roku I was using, I think, mm. uh, and. It, it does murder full HD Netflix, absolutely murders it for quality. There is a massive jump. You will see it straight away, just jumping from source to source. But it's, Thank you, it's, well, I just thought I'd sort of point out the inadequacies <laughs> if you're crushing if you're my. Uh... <laughs> but there is. I mean, I, I, but I agree with you because I've watched 1080p streams you know, for many years from, from Netflix and I've been impressed with a lot of them. But it is a big leap going up to the Ultra HD streams, a really big leap. Right, do you want to check a grenade now then, Phil? In? Let's get down to the really hard. Hard tax stuff. Let's unleash Ed. <laughs> okay, so we're unleashing Phil first. <laughs> so, like I said, I, I promise you, I told you so. And and I guess back in two thousand and ten, when three D technology came along for TVs, I I happened to say a couple of times that I didn't think it had the traction to become popular with the mass market. I thought it would be popular with the enthusiast market to a certain degree, but I thought in terms of the mass market, it wasn't going to work, and it wasn't going to work for quite a number of reasons, which you've actually listed in your death of 3d tv article steve on the homepage, which has caused quite a bit of a, a debate really but it seems to be quite a bit of a pointless debate and once again i'm in no way having a go at our listeners or our four members and i but again we're in a bubble this bubble of enthusiasts and, and people who do like this technology for the mass market it's it's never been popular it was never going to be popular i said it again in 2012 and Somebody uh, who actually posts on AV forums, but also on AVS forums, called me all sorts of names, uh, saying, who does this guy think he is, saying that 3D is not going to be popular, it's going to die, 3D TV is going to die, and, and all the rest of it. And I'm not going to say I told you so, but I, I think it's it's more or less come to the point now with Philips and Samsung both pulling out of 3D altogether on their TVs, with Panasonic only having three models um, with 3D, and I guess Sony are the same three models with two, two, models, two, two models, models with 3D. Plus, the BBC withdrew their channel, uh, Sky withdrew their channel last year. 
the only uh, source of 3D content at the moment is Blu-ray. But even so, in the US, I believe that the market is even smaller than the UK in terms of what now gets released as a 3D Blu-ray. So there's very little content there. There's very little in terms of, uh, of, of new technology coming along. The only sector that seems to be holding on to 3D is, is the projector market. And because they're going to struggle with HDR delivery and, and, of course, 4K delivery because it's so expensive to manufacture 4K chips and so on, they need to hang on to a feature to sell projectors. And obviously on a big screen, it makes a lot more sense. It's a lot more yeah. immersive experience. But I think I was right calling it all the way back there and saying that I didn't think it was going to it was going to be particularly popular with the mass market. And I think that's proven to be the case. Take AV forums and AVS members aside, that that is the case. I, I don't know anybody who watches 3D material at home on their 3D TV. I've got to say, it's it's certainly out of everyone I know, I know I've got one friend. I mean, don't say I've got one friend. I've got more than one friend. But of my friends, only one of them is, is, is a, a, a fan of 3D at all, really. And B, regularly watches it on his TV. Even I, I mean, I'm a fan of 3D. It's ironic that I should be getting a lot of grief for writing that article, but I've always been a supporter of 3D. But to be honest, I've always been a supporter of 3D on a projector because for it to be any kind of immersive experience, it needs to be on a very big screen. You just can't get that on a 40-inch screen. It's like looking through a small window. It's not the same thing at all. Um, But I've always been a fan of it. The technology itself is incredible. I think that, you know, the fact that they can do that is, is really impressive. But, you know, once again, going back to the, the regular surveys that manufacturers do every year with all their, all their, you know, customer base, you know, even back in 2010, 2011, 3D was not coming a very high list of priorities. It was always down the bottom. And then these days it's right at the bottom. Um, it was never that, something I think. I think it was something people weren't actually asking for. It was just kind of foisted upon them because they could do it and they needed some kind of feature to help sell TVs in a, in a saturated market. Now everything's moved on to 4K and HDR and it's just not important anymore and people weren't interested in it anyway. And if, there's, if it adds to the complexity of making the panel or if it adds to the cost of making the panel anyway and you're a manufacturer and margins are already razor thin, you're going to think, well, why am I bothering? And that's clearly what sounds in the Philips have thought. Even LG, apparently only 20% of their TVs are going to have 3D this year. Out of, out of the entire lineup so you know they're all cutting back if they haven't got rid of it entirely they're currently getting rid of most of them and i should imagine by next year you know 3d tvs will be quite rare new 3d tvs should we say yeah i mean i did make this point perhaps more than once in the accompanying thread this is part of a wider situation we've encountered with the general public across both audio and video you can bring the public round to improvements in quality and it's not very hard to do but it must actually demand nothing of them whilst you do it so dvd quite happily usurped vhs yeah it had a better picture quality but equally you didn't have to rewind it or anything like that hd has has you know slowly but surely you know, achieved a reason a reasonable level of market penetration because the channels have started turning up and it's not too hard to find them and so on and so forth. That's all all good. And I have reasonable hopes that over I think a longer time frame than might might possibly be ideal, but nonetheless eventually um four K and, and high dynamic range and other things will, will find their, their place as well because um for for exactly the same reasons if a group of a group of friends sit down to watch a film in 4K HDR. There will be a couple of people who are technically up on it, and they will 
genuinely appreciate what they see in front of them. For the people that don't appreciate it, they're still just watching a film a film with their mates and they can, you know, interject and throw popcorn at one another, all the rest of it. 3D just demanded a level of, you know, commitment and, and general interaction that we've seen time and time again the public isn't interested in doing. And, yeah, this is an inevitable as, as Phil said this is an inevitable end nothing more nothing less it just it, it just isn't compatible with how most people use these viewing viewing systems at home I don't want to gloat in any way because I, I, I think it's it's interesting technology in certain instances it works really well you know with a, with a projector it works really well with OLED TVs with passive 3D 4K OLED TVs it looks really really good really quite a compelling thing to watch but the general public have to get on board or we come back to the same situation that we did with the smart tv systems which is manufacturers continually do market research they have to do it because it's such a saturated market in terms of tv penetration um, especially in the uk now the uk is slightly different to other markets especially in europe in that it has a bigger enthusiast draw and it has more sales in the higher end, higher echelons of, of the TV lineups. You know, more high end models get sold in the UK than, than elsewhere, apart from maybe Germany um, when it comes to Europe. You just have to look at the American market, which is a, a, an absolute drive to the bottom at the moment with lots of manufacturers not even getting involved. Um, lots of big manufacturers not getting involved. So they, they have to look at things. They have to look at what is value for money, what's costing them money, what's actually being used by the general public. And for a long time, uh, even getting review samples, um, I'm still chasing companies this week for 3D specs because I can't fully test the product they've sent in for review because they haven't included the specs because they just see it as, oh, it's just another feature. On this occasion, it's two projectors, which really, you know, they need to be tested, so we need the glasses in. But, you know, these manufacturers have looked at this. They've seen the market. They've seen the way things have gone. And the fact that the BBC, who are accountable to the taxpayer, have decided, well, it's not worth us spending any more money on this. We need to be moving on. And then you look at a company like Sky who could keep a 3D channel going quite easily and absorb the costs into something else quite easily, but they too have pulled the plug. So unfortunately, whether we like it or not, and, and we as enthusiasts, like I say, there, there are, and, and we're not gloating about this, there are applications where 3D technology really does work and, and there have been experiences I've had at home which I thought, oh, Jesus, that looks really good, but not enough of them. Mm-hmm. And there's not enough momentum behind it, and and the vast majority of stuff that's being produced now is is all post conversion. Mm-hmm. Very little is is actually being filmed with three D cameras. Um, so it it went from something that, that that had showed great promise, but really at the end of the day, it came down to the glasses. And and I still pretend that this is the main reason. You do so many different things in a living room. You do not sit and just look at the screen. You have other things going on. You're speaking to people. You've got pets climbing all over you. You might want to lie down, which you can't do if you're wearing 3D specs. You know, you might have other things on the go. So you don't want to be sitting there wearing glasses. And there are, like I say, things that tie you to wearing the glasses. You have got to keep your head straight and all the rest of it. And maybe in a cinema room where you're sitting looking at a big screen and you are keeping yourself more or less sat straight, it works a bit better in, in those circumstances. But how many people have got a cinema room and a projector? Very little. When it comes to TV, unless they get to do away with the glasses, it's never something that's going to catch on to the mass market, ever. 
You also need to really close the curtains as well, don't you? Because any reflections just kill 3D in the glasses. So that's another another, right, ba- was, yeah, another was, barrier. I was wondering what you were watching in 3D. <laughs> <laughs> well, anything, anything that when the, when the light catches the glasses, it, it, it kills the contrast and kills the effect of certain extent. It does, so. yeah. Yeah, so it that's, does. That's another barrier. But it, um, it, it is a shame that we're getting to the point now where the technology is getting really, really good. Yeah, yeah. They've just got to now where it's particularly, as you said, Phil, with the 4K uh, OLED TV, uh, large screen OLED TV with passive 1080p for each eye. Honestly, it looks stunning. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, uh, just as it's getting really, really good, they're, they're, it's gradually being dropped because there isn't just any interest. And, and going back to what you said, Phil, Whenever, and I was quite evangelical about 3D in the early days, and would tell people, oh, you know, 3D is great. As soon as you told them you had to put glasses on, they had no interest. It was like, well, I'm not wearing glasses at home. They don't mind doing it in a cinema. Because like you say, in the cinema, you're just, all you're doing is watching the film. The cinema is uh, an event. Are, yeah, people are prepared to do that. But in the lounge, you've got lights on in the lounge, you know, you're, you're doing other things, you're watching TV. You, you, you know, as you said, I think, Ed, in one of your posts, if your wife walks in and wants to watch what you're watching, she has to sit down and put on a pair of 3D glasses. It's not going to happen. It just isn't. No one, no one, to be honest, I don't think anyone really wanted that in their lounge. They never did and they never will. And, you know, unless they can get auto stereoscopic 3D to work properly, which, again, I mean, Phil, you've seen plenty of examples as well. I've never seen one that really works because as soon as you move your head, uh, you lose the effect and it starts giving you a headache. And obviously, let's not forget that quite a lot of people in, in the, you know, in the country and worldwide can't see 3D anyway. You know, probably there are more people who have, you know, for various medical reasons, can't see a three-dimensional image the way that most people can, than there are fans of 3D. I can tell you that much. So, but <laughs> anyway, so, I mean, it's gonna, I bet statistically speaking, there's more people with one eye than there is fans of 3D. So, you know, and that's you know, if you do have a problem with one of your eyes and you can't focus and and get the 3D effect. You know, there's a media non-starter for you, and even people that can, you know, have healthy eyes, still end up getting headaches. And and it's it, it, if you watch, and I've done this, I'm, you know, I've watched long periods of watching 3D. You know, where I've watched like a couple of Hobbit movies in 3D back to back. Take six hours of those glasses on, active shutter particularly, it's tiring, and it will give you a headache, and you will you will have had enough by the end of it. Just give me a hangover, an actual hangover. Yeah. If I watched a 3D movie the night before, and the next morning I would wake up with a raging headache every yeah. time. I mean, I'm a fan of 3D, and even I've got to the point now where, for example, The Martian, which is a native 3D film, and I saw it at the cinema in 3D. I got the 3D Blu-ray, and I was about to put it on, and I thought, should I put on the 3D or the 2D? Ah, sorry, I put on the 2D, I can't be arsed with the glasses. So, uh, you know, if I'm saying that, and I'm a fan, uh, what chances have it got with the mass market? Apparently none. Okay, so um, things not looking rosy for 3D, and uh, we'll obviously come back to this one and see where we are in the next six months, but... I guess uh, you know the next lineup of TVs in 2017. I'll be very surprised if there's any uh, is there any 3D models. To be honest, unless they're really high end OLED or whatever, yeah, you might still see it there. Because I, I guess the real test is going to be, and we've discussed this, Steve, is is how's OLED going to look when they take the filler off? Mm. Um, you know, how's how's the B6 going to look, which is not going to have 3D, so it's not going to have the 3D filler attached it so it's going to be interesting to see if that in any way affects the picture quality whatsoever yeah it is i mean i mean when they announced the the b6 at ces i remember thinking like that's an interesting tv because for a lot of people even people like me who are are perhaps fans of 3d might have a 3d projector so the idea of a non-3d oled uh for the lounge flat screen and everything that's looking quite tempting so it'll be very interesting to see how it does perform when we finally get one in for review I'm I'm interested. I mean, admittedly, mm. I, I I probably can't afford it without doing something irresponsible, but I am nonetheless. That would be my 
ideal television from this generation. Another drunk purchase by Ed on that one, I think. Oh, you'd ha- I'd have to be. I'd have to be so drunk I could no longer use a computer, so I'm actually quite safe from that. I should be all right. I like to think, though, that by dropping the filter, by dropping, um, but not having the expensive stands or built-in speakers and all that sort of stuff that the, the higher-end models have got uh, in this year's LG range, we should see it hitting in a, you know, a competitive price point, um, which should be good news for everyone, really. Okay. Well, that wraps up uh, the hardware side of the podcast for this week. We'll be back in a sec with movie reviews. <laughs> Okay, moving on to uh, movies, and what can we go and see this Friday, Steve? Well, uh, interesting one this Friday, actually. Uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane, which is a film that, in this modern age of you know the internet and everything, I don't know how they managed to do this, but it's a film that they've managed to make in almost entire secrecy uh, that no one knew was being produced, that no one knew had been made until about two months ago when the first trailer hit. Um, it's a kind of sequel to the film Cloverfield, which, again, was a film that was made in quite a lot of secrecy, um, by J.J. Abrams. I think he was the producer on Cloverfield back in 2008. Um, and this 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 is a film, whoops, I, I think, if you've seen Cloverfield, you know it's, it's like a found footage film about a monster attacking New York. Um, and this is meant to be following on from that, so maybe post-monsters attack or something like that. But I'm not quite sure what it involves because, again, the, the trailer is fairly ambiguous. Um, but I'm just amazed that they can make an entire feature film um, with a big cast. I mean, John Goodman's in it and Mary Elizabeth Ma- um, Winstead. Yeah, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Um, She's welcome to join my selective. <laughs> I might be stuck in a solo with her for a bit. She, um, yeah, I mean, these are relatively big stars and, and and it's produced by J.J. Abrams again. And somehow they've managed to make this film without anyone knowing about it, which, congratulations, that's quite an, you know, a feat these days. Um, so I don't know much about the plot. No, that's deliberate. Um, the, the trailers have been fairly ambiguous. It opens on Friday. Uh, I am curious and I... I kind of enjoyed although i'm not a fan of found footage films generally i kind of enjoyed cloverfield so um I, and this is not a found footage film by the way this is shot normally um i'm curious and i think i'm if i get a chance this weekend i might go and see it and the other film opening up this weekend is a comedy with, with um uh bill murray called rock the casbah uh where he is a dj in the middle east i believe or a musician so i say in the middle east so if you like a bit of bill murray might be worth checking that out but i think for me 10 cloverfield lane I'm, I'm really curious to see what they've done and how they've you know what it's all about so this piqued my interest yeah. yeah, well, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what it's like. But, you know, JJ's great at the first two acts and the third act always stinks. Oh, yeah, he does. He's, uh, he has issues with third acts, definitely. Um, it's Super 8 being the best example of that. Oh, definitely. yeah, I mean, I, I loved that film right up until the third act. Yeah, two th- first two-thirds of that, fantastic. I love the Spielberg homage. The kids are really good. Had lots of interesting stuff going on. And then in the last, it tries to have his cake and eat it at the end, and it just ends up with cake all over its face. Uh, I'll tell you what I ended up watching at the weekend, and I forgot how much I loved the film and how well made it was, Poltergeist. Oh, it's, it's on Amazon at the minute, and I just happened to see it, and I thought, oh, I'll watch the first yeah. five minutes, and <laughs> two hours later, credits rolling. I'd forgot how superb that film was. It's still scary. Oh yes, yes, it is. It is. It, it, it is. It's. Uh, that's. I mean, you know, that did not need to be remade. <laughs> they nailed it the first time out. All right, Steve. So, um, I've been buying loads of Blu-rays recently, and uh, I've, I've got. I'm hooked. I need to go and buy some more. Actually, so. you've even been buying 3D Blu-rays, which I find quite amusing. <laughs> yeah, but they've also got the Blu-ray version inside the box, and they were like four quid a piece. So, you know, I wasn't going to say no. But what yeah, can I buy this week if enough, I feel like price. it? <laughs> Uh, right, well, as you mentioned at the top of the uh, top of the show, um, Game of Thrones season five comes out on Blu-ray this week uh, with the Dolby Atmos soundtrack. 
So that's definitely, that's the big release it's this week, basically. It's really expensive. It's the same price as what I paid for season one to four. It's twenty nine ninety nine, isn't it? Well, it was 30-something quid or what I saw. I think on Amazon it's twenty nine ninety nine. But uh, to be fair, HBO series are never that cheap. They are a bit toppy price-wise. But I do think you're getting value for money in a sense that you're getting 10 episodes with high production values, yeah. fantastic picture and sound. I mean, if you read um, uh, Simon's review, you know, as with all the seasons of Game of Thrones on Blu-ray, they look and sound stunning. Um, you know, they are cinematic in terms of their production values. The money's up there on the screen, uh, and you know I watch I watch these these Blu-rays in the home cinema because they can they can stand up to being projected onto a big screen and still look fantastic. So I don't mind. I don't really object to paying a bit extra for these. And like I said earlier, it's the only TV series I buy on Blu-ray now um, because of that. So if you're interested, and I'm sure there are plenty of fans out there, people who will buy it. Um, it comes out this week, and obviously the new series starts um, it's in April, isn't it, Mark? April the I think it's either the 11th or the 18th that it first starts broadcasting on Sky, on Sky Atlantic. So not long to wait until um, season six. And uh, yeah, there was um, some shockers at the end of season five, I have to say. So uh, as always, so I'm looking forward to seeing I, what happens to season I hope six. it's better than season five. Season five felt like four and a half to me. It was a bit, I was quite let was down. It? it never seemed to go anywhere from Yeah. Or We kind of left at the same point almost as you were at the end of season four. But anyway. And I also think that big shocker at the end of season five. Yeah, I was just going to say, reversed. you know, you know, when that's talking about spoilers and stuff, maybe we should. should I'm not going to say anything about what the shocker is. I'm just saying I was very shocked. Uh, it did <laughs> bugger up Ed's theory. No, I don't. Think I, I, I don't. I, look, I don't think look, look, I don't want to. I've, I've got. So I've thanks got, to uh, again another just just the simple appearance of a person in that episode prior to the shocking event meant that actually it wasn't terribly shocking at all. Sorry. Anyway, Game of Thrones is out this week. Next week, here you can get on Blu-ray Steve Jobs, the Danny Boyle film with Michael Fassbender about, obviously, Steve Jobs. Is it any good? Um, I watched it at the weekend and really, really enjoyed it. In fact, you know what? It was It's two hours long. And I've got to say, it, that two hours shot by. Because typical That's Aaron Sorkin, there's loads and loads of talking and lots going on all the time. And it rattled along. And I couldn't believe that two hours had gone in the blink of an eye. It was, I really enjoyed it. And I thought my only complaint being... Whilst Michael Fassbender is really good, he's a great actor, he just doesn't look anything like Steve Jobs. Whereas, maybe not such a good actor, but Ashton Kutcher really did look like him. So you, you kind of, you're always aware it's Michael Fassbender acting and you never kind of buy into him being Steve Jobs. Um, but the, the structure is interesting. It takes place basically in a, in a period of time before three key launches. Um, the Macintosh launch, the Next launch, and then finally the iMac launch. So... I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Black Mass is out next week. Saw that on the plane when we were going to Vegas, Phil. I think you saw it, didn't you, on the way back? Yeah, I did. It, yeah. It, um, it's it's something that I didn't mind watching on a seven-inch screen, but I thought it was it was trying to be a bit too worthy. Yeah, yeah. It was. I thought Johnny Depp, for once, you know, for a long, first time in a long time, gave a decent performance. But it's one of those films that's about some pretty unlikable people, and it makes it difficult to really, you know, associate or or empathise with the characters. Yeah, um, I also, also thought again, third act was a bit sloppy. Mm. Yeah, it, well, apparently it was quite cut. It, a good twenty minutes was cut out of that third act because there's a whole bit where he goes on the run that basically just jumps from that to him being caught. You know, it was yeah, yeah, it, it just felt really rushed and really rushed just throwing yeah. together. Yeah, so which um, was a shame because up, up to that point, I thought drama wise and and performance wise, it was really good. But like you say, I mean, it's characters you don't you, you don't necessarily like, but I think that works dramatically if it's if it's if a lot of care and respect 
is taking and telling the story and you have a character that you can pin to as the good guy the the problem was they were all bad guys yeah, and I mean, uh, you, you, you can make films where the characters aren't nice i mean no one's particularly nice in goodfellas but it still works because it's a really well made really well structured uh film i think yeah yeah black mass probably because it's not, i don't know it it, it yeah it um, definitely um lost its way in the third act um, also next week, The Good Dinosaur, did Pixar's um, second film last year after Inside Out. Um, haven't seen it. Uh, I have got it, actually, on 3D Blu-ray, but I haven't seen it yet. Oh, dear um, me. It's a nine you don't buy. Well, I've got every Pixar movie, um, but it didn't look particularly good, I have to say. So this is definitely one of those purchases where I'm just doing it to keep my collection intact. And also coming out next week is The Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part 2, which I have seen at the cinema, um, which was a pretty good conclusion to the, the Hunger Games series. Um, I quite enjoyed it, actually. Um, and if you're a Hunger Games fan, I'm sure you'll, sure you'll, if you haven't already seen it, I'm sure you'll enjoy um, watching that on Blu-ray. And that's it for next week. So you mentioned Goodfellas, classic, mm-hmm. absolute classic film. I only saw that about seven years ago for the first time, believe it or not. Um, I'm one of these people who, I don't know, I just tend to forget to watch the really worthy films. And, and if you take a look at the AFI, um, 100 years top films, um, it's, I think it's top 100 films, and I have seen 49% of those films on that list. And when you go down the list, I was I was quite ashamed of myself because the ones that I've, I've guaranteed I've seen are the Spielbergs, the uh, Alfred Hitchcocks, the, um, the, the blockbusters, basically. Um, now, I have seen a few of the classic films in there, but there are titles which I am ashamed to say, worthy films as they are, stuff like Raging Bull, and, and I saw it for four quid the other day and I nearly bought it in Blu-ray and I really should go and buy it in Blu-ray and watch it. Never seen it. Stuff like, um, what was the one I bought the other day? I've never seen it. Taxi, Taxi Driver. Driver. Taxi yeah. Driver. I've never seen Taxi Driver. There's other stuff in there like The Searchers. Never seen it. Um, heard all about it. But it's one of these things I've never gotten round to watching. And, and there's other stuff in there that I've seen bits and pieces of. So The Graduate, I have seen that, but I can't really remember much of it. But I, I know I've seen it. Um, it's a Wonderful Life. It was on the TV every Christmas, so I think everybody on the planet's seen that. The the interesting, obviously, fact about that film is that it absolutely bombed. Quite, quite a few films on this list yeah, it <laughs> didn't ab- do that well when they it, first came it out. It absolutely bombed, and it changed Capra completely. I mean, I don't think he ever recovered from it. Again, stuff like that, you, you've seen it over and over and over again, but there's other stuff on, on the list, and stuff that, like I say, I am actually quite ashamed that I haven't seen a lot of these things like the the Maltese Falcon, the Bridge Over River Kwai, never seen it. I've never actually gone around to seeing it. Doctor Strangelove, never seen it. You see, oh, at least I have seen... Terrible. <laughs> Can't watch that. I'm actually, quite surprised. Really in, in that case, weird to relate, of your 49%, actually, I think it may be that I've seen the other 51, but there are films there that I haven't seen. Uh, obviously, as you might expect, as you know, we've established that I've gone through life without watching large swathes of vital stuff. But um, no, I Jaws one of the films you haven't seen. No, I've never seen Jaws. <laughs> oh, it's an absolute classic, Ed. You'd really like it. You really um, would like it. It's on it's, my it's, list of things it's, to do. It's, it's not about the shark. I think you'd like it. But yeah, I mean, I know exactly what you're saying there because there's many times. I, there's a lot of these films I actually own, but I've never watched. And some of them on DVD, <laughs> which I have owned and then sold on and never never watched them can can i admit now ed to apocalypse apocalypse now to be honest that's so long it's such a long i have it i have all the editions of it on (laughs) blu-ray it's still sitting in the cellophane 
I mean, and just to be really annoying, in, in order for it to make any degree of sense the first time out, you probably need to watch the Redux version, which is even bloody longer. <laughs> that's the one so, I've got. Yeah. Um, but, 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 uh, don't watch that one. It's, that's not very good. It ruins uh, key aspects of that film, I think. Right, I completely right, okay. disagree. Without the French plantation <laughs> scene, none of the rest of it makes any sense. Right. Well, let's not get into spoilers again. But those are, those are some of the ones. But obviously, there are ones like Citizen Kane, The Godfather, Casablanca, Singing in the Rain, Gone with the Wind, Lawrence of Arabia, Schindler's List, Vertigo, Wizard of Oz, um, all these things, Psycho, 2001 Space Odyssey. You know, there are big, big, worthy classic films that I have seen on the list. But I will put my hands up and say I haven't seen them all. I don't pretend to, to see them all. And I'm also going to say a lot of them don't really inspire me to go and watch them right away. So, you know, I, and I'm, I guess I'm not going to be the only one here. I mean, I know Steve's going to probably be the highest scorer here, but I'd, I'd be surprised if Mark scores that much higher than me. I got 60%, 62, I think. I went through the list on Friday and looked, which surprised me that I've seen that many. But then I did used to watch a lot of movies and I just kind of fell out of it about 10 years ago. Coincidentally, when I had a child, perhaps that's a, so, so, <laughs> that's, that's something to do with it. I did used to watch a fair few movies. And <laughs> I used to go through, I used to buy Empire even, you know, for a while, for a couple of years. So I was quite into movies for a while, and I guess I, I might have chased down some of these classics, you know. I've and, got to be honest, I mean, some of these films, not only have I not seen them, I was unaware of their existence. <laughs> yeah, there's a few like that. For sure, there's a few, I mean, you must have said that some of this, some of the 30s and 20s, I mean, City Lights. I haven't the faintest idea what City Lights is, and I've never Tony seen Tony Chaplin. <laughs> Fine, good for him. Yeah, the general, obviously, Buster Keaton, that's kind of quite obscure. Not obscure, but unlikely to people who have seen that. There's a few of the old, really old stuff. But most of it's fairly classic. If you've not seen The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, I would recommend watching that. That's one of my favourites. That's a great film. It's Um, an amazing movie. I I guess we we, we hit on this before as well, and we all tend to be round about the same age group here, apart from Steve, who's far older than the rest of us. Um, (laughs) Sorry, Steve, but it is true. I don't think I'm much older than Mark, am I? (laughs) No, no. I just look younger. I was, I was sticking to yeah, you do, Mark. I was just stuck out for you there. But um, I guess if we were to show this list to uh, the twenty-somethings at the minute, I guess that you probably be fifteen percent, twenty percent. I mean, I'm just surmising, but I would imagine that is the case because looking through this list, there's not a lot from the last twenty years that's in there. There's nothing from this century, as best as I can see. Uh, but this yeah. was made in 2007. No, sorry, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, 2001. I think that's the most recent film on this list. And that's not a very good one. It's not a glowing endorsement. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there are some really good films in, in this list. But like you were saying, there's stuff. Uh, there is stuff that does interest me. Network interests me. Very I've heard, movie. I've very heard, I've heard a lot that. about it. And um, I understand it's still quite relevant. Mm. in its message today so that is something up you know if it pops up on blu-ray at four quid i'll buy it i'm intrigued by intolerance not least because it's a hundred years old uh yeah and going by the title you'd probably enjoy it ed yeah well it's, it's, <laughs> it's 3d <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um i guess i mean going through the list here I, you know you've got all the ones that you would expect to see in here like the wild bunch all the president's men forrest gump in the heat of the night silence of the alarms which Cassidy and Sundance Kid, Shawshank, uh, Saving Private Ryan, Clockwork, Clockwork Orange, um, which I think is a, I, I don't think it gets it's uh, it's just rewards Clockwork Orange. I think it's, I think because of the whole video nasty thing, I, I think it got a wrong label or mm-hmm. wrongly labeled there, Steve. I think it's 
again, it's a, it's another one which still rings true right now. Oh, it a was, lot of the messages. It was some, that's one of the reasons why um, I think it rings true now. I think it was very close to the bone in 70, 71, was it when it came out? 71? Um, because the reason it was unavailable in this country was nothing to do with censorship. It was, it was Kubrick himself who, who asked Warner Brothers yeah, to move he was getting, in the he was UK because he was getting threats. death threats. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, shocking that that, that could happen at the time. But, um, the film is still an incredibly powerful thing, film to watch, and even now, um, partly I think because of Kubrick's trademark cold style, it's so um, detached that you feel like you're, you know, you, you're implicit in some of the violence in the film. It's, it just makes puts you there in the room with them. It, it's got a, a great score as well. Yeah, really, yeah. No, really it's, it's good amazing score. work. Yeah. Um, and it, and it is, you know, incredible to think that he had so much sway over Warner Brothers, he could get them to withdraw an entire film from circulation in an entire country until after his death. Amazing. But uh, what? so what was your mark? 49, did you say, out of 100, Phil? Yeah, but actually, I, I'm saying that, but I probably have seen more than that, but I just don't remember it. And you reckon you were, what, 62, were you? 62 mark? for certain. Query, 64. Could have seen a couple of them. And Ed, Ed was 50. <laughs> Ed? Ed was 52. No, I don't. I haven't counted exactly, but I'm. I'm. I would say somewhere about high forties, low fifties. Um, so come on, then, Steve. I'm at eighty-three. I've seen eighty-three of the hundred, so not too bad. There's a few there that I haven't seen. I'm aware of them, but I can't say that I'm a big Chaplin fan for a kickoff. And at least no. two of the films in that list are Chaplin. Or three. I was, I was really Chaplin. surprised at how few Hitchcocks have actually made it into this list. You know, it's funny. Hitchcock never got much critical acclaim. Um, Certainly when he was making films, he was always regarded too populist. Um, it's interesting that in the last couple of years, because for years and years and years and years and years, Citizen Kane was always selected as the best film of all time until two years ago when Vertigo replaced it. This was a critics, um, they do an annual critics selection of, um, worldwide critics selection, the best film of all time. And for yeah. years it was always Citizen Kane. And two years ago, Vertigo was voted the best film ever made. And so it's only now that, that Hitchcock is really getting the kind of critical acclaim that, frankly, he always deserved. That's three um, now. Hmm. So sadly, yeah. Um, one of those, along with Kubrick, directors who never won an Oscar. Yeah, but what, what did the Academy know? Yeah, quite. Well, <laughs> that's, that's a whole other story, isn't it? But uh, I think it is a pretty um, decent list of films. I mean, obviously, it's very much because it's the American, it's the AFI, so they're all US films, aren't they? They are. I mean, it'd be yeah. interesting to have a look at some other top top 100 lists, um, like the Film 4 one. Uh, that'd be interesting to have a look at uh, Channel 4's all-time mm. favourite list. That'd be interesting because I think that would be more UK-centric in terms of taste, and um, I think it'd be a bit more up-to-date than this one. I mean, I'm not saying that older films don't deserve all, all the awards that they do get. I, I, I love cinema. It's just I've never... There are things that I will put my hand up and say I've, I've never gotten around to seeing them. And if I had the time, I probably would. And I think time's time's the thing, isn't it? I mean, there, there would have been a time a few years ago where um, I maybe would have made a, I'm saying a few years ago, probably about 10 years ago, where I would have made a point of actually sitting down and trying to catch up with some of these worthy titles that I've, I haven't seen. And who knows? I mean, there's so many good things now on Blu-ray. I mean, we're all talking about Ultra HD Blu-ray and all the rest of it. But if you actually look at... Amazon and other places, and some of the Blu-ray titles, and some of the classic Blu-ray titles, you're picking them up for three, four pound. Um, even, you know, 3D Blu-rays. I, I think I picked up Star Trek the other day, and I picked up that's a new Star Trek um, Into Darkness. And what else was it? It was, it was something else new. Oh, Man of Steel, because you've all been talking about Man of Steel. I thought oh, I'll go and get that. Um, and I paid all of eight pound for both of those, and they're both 3D Blu-rays. You know, we're all talking about the next next format. Well, there's 
plenty to watch on the existing formats at the minute and some uh, yeah, that's true. you know give you a good opportunity to catch or give me a good opportunity to catch up with some of these uh, that i've never seen i think that withers needs to compile the hundred worst films as rated on imdb and we'll see how many of those we've watched because i think the answer is in the case of my wife a worryingly large number <laughs> of them yeah yeah but has your wife actually sat down and 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 experienced the film that is Rupi Goldberg again. <laughs> Do you know what? I, 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 I think she refused to be drawn on this, but I have a sneaking suspicion that Kirsty has at some point seen Theodore X. <laughs> um, Once watched, you can never forget it. Well, yes, but you can, you can, can never undo it. that. So, uh, I, I still yeah. kind of believe you fell for it and actually sat and watched it and reviewed it. I don't know. I tell you what, uh, it was worth. It is. It is worth watching because it's one of those films that's so bad it starts. Yeah, as I say, the side of Whoopi Goldberg who can barely move in that outfit, trying to pick something up from the ground, is worth it alone. And she sort of sort of tries to bend with that because she can't move her back, which is what (laughs) what I only describe as a giant girdle to hold her in because obviously she's in like you know, and this has never been allowed in the first place. A skin tight outfit. Um, It's it's and the look on her face half the time when she's basically just being forced to do this. It's it's worth it for that alone. Although Laura did walk out of the lounge, she refused like five minutes. She's, I'm not watching anymore. This life's too oh, short. Oh, you, you only watched it in the lounge. You didn't have actually put it in the home cinema. No. <laughs> Said with the horror in his voice there. Um, talk, talking about films that you you have fond memories of, and then you watch them again. Uh, Bad Boys. I picked. Um, I used to. I had to buy the US box because the Sony screwed up the the Region Two release. Region two, region B release, um, because Bad Boys wasn't the twentieth anniversary um, edition in the UK box. They 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 done it with the older disc for that. So anyway, I bought the US one, and Bad Boys. I sat and watched it. I've watched it a couple of times now because I've been testing different projectors, so I wanted the same bit of material, and um, it hasn't aged well. <laughs> Did we really dress as badly as that in the nineties? And and furniture as well. There's a lot of furniture in there. And I'm thinking, oh Christ, I had one of them. And there was uh, pillowcases, and they had that like Miami design. <laughs> Do you remember them from the nineties? And I'm thinking, oh God, I used to have a bed and like that, and it just it really hasn't aged well. Apart from the Porsche that's in it, I think everybody, everything else, and everybody else has aged quite badly. I mean, you wouldn't want to see Will Smith uh, with his shirt open these days with his six pack and all the rest. I mean, that seemed to be the 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 thing. It was how little clothing that they're actually the male leads were it's quite warm in Miami <laughs> yeah but you know it seemed to be the male leads that were losing the clothing yeah yeah, so. yeah but it's um it's a lesson actually brought out by any number of films across the decades if you are achingly of the moment in fashion and design terms it is highly likely you're going to look like a monumental dick in <laughs> 10 years time those that, yeah. that's that's not specific to bad boys that that must follow us across uh, well every generation yeah. um, you pick um something like um uh trying to think of wall street for example yeah, you know, that is very much a film of its time. You know, the the stuff that's going on in that film, the clothes they're wearing, the um, Daryl Hannah's interior design is awful. And when <laughs> I was busy awful. trying not to die yesterday, there was one of the airport movies on. Um, oh God, a long way down the sky dial, and there was some fairly bold bold clothing choices being uh, being used in that as well. Yeah. So yeah, uh, for every Steve McQueen, 
you know, a timeless fashion icon. <laughs> and also, let's not forget, when you think, oh, yeah, Steve McQueen, he's cool. Every time you try and dress like Steve McQueen, you look like someone going off to visit your grad. <laughs> <laughs> but somehow McQueen can always carry it off. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, being timeless isn't that easy. But generally speaking, don't be exactly of the moment. The, the, the most depressing thing was that how young Will Smith and Martin Lawrence look in that film. They, they, they look like teenagers. That's so young in that, and I just you just realise you're getting old. Imagine how old they're going to look in Bad Boys Three. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I wonder if Martin Lawrence will still get top billing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've still got on a Bad Boys Two. I kind of remember the plot of Bad Boys Two. Actually, it's completely I think gone. It's largely irrelevant film. <laughs> Is it? Okay. <laughs> it's okay. Just a bunch of shoot ups and car chases. <laughs> I, but I have now found um, the ultimate um, test test scenes for um, uh, DIs, dynamic irises and that is the credit sequence of Bad Boys and then the the heist at the beginning of the movie because it takes place in such dark surroundings but there's lots of uh, bright white and uh, there's bits where the whole this Sony that I'm testing a minute is strobing away in the high uh, dynamic iris setting because it's changing so often so I think I found a real torture test there so at least something positive comes out of that it's like going in the cons column. Not good with Bad Boys too. It's <laughs> <laughs> a bit when they're singing Bad Boys, Bad Boys, what are you going to do? And he goes, I don't know the second verse. We only ever usually sing the first one. <laughs> Actually, I've got to say they are guilty pleasures of mine. I do think they're quite funny. It was just how dated they are, Steve. I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting the nostalgia. 20 years, mate. It's long. That's when you realise we're getting on a bit because 20 years is quite a long time. It's yeah. like if you extrapolate back from 1995, we're talking 1975 from Jaws. So... Yeah, it's a, it was a long time ago now. Different century, even. And on that, and on podcast that, as cheerily as we began. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, we st- we started on death. We talked about death at 3D in the middle, and why not end on death? You know, it's, I kill myself. It, it's death edition. <laughs> it's it, coming for us all. <laughs> anyway, on that death bombshell, that is the end of the podcast for this week. My thanks to Steve Withers. Skadoosh. Mark Hodgkinson. This will be easier than I thought. Yeah, put some passion into it. <laughs> I don't know. I've never seen it. Right. <laughs> no, I to hack this bit. This will be easier than I thought. And Ed Selly. There are no accidents. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, bookmark AV forums for latest reviews, news, and video. And of course, you can leave us a rating on iTunes. And next week, we'll read your name out if you do that. So go to iTunes now. Give us five stars. Nothing less than five stars will do. I'm Phil Hinton. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you again next Wednesday. <laughs>